Alright, hey, what's up everybody? Welcome to week two, episode two of Between Two Senseis, our latest Sensei Dojo talk show. I'm back with David, who has just completed a very long and exhausting commentary gig on yep. the Olympiad. <laughs> We're going to get to our, our topics in a sec. Uh, got some interesting stuff to to talk about today. I'm sure things will will come up. And yeah. uh, just like last week, what we'll do is um, we might have some fluff topics where we don't really disagree on much, but might have some um, topics where we do disagree. And in which case, we'll have the the audience break the uh, the tie by voting. I'm like, wow, fluff sounds so good to me right now, Costa. Yes, give me a fluff topic. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm at 38 hours of streaming for the weekend right now. So if this show goes over, I could hit 40, but then I could also get killed by my partner. So maybe we'll try and stick to our time. Wow. Yeah. That... I'll save. I'll save a 40-hour weekend for uh, when we get to 10,000 followers. What are you gonna do after this? You mean after the show? Yeah. Sleep. You're just gonna sleep. Yeah. <laughs> that would be for for how long? How long are you gonna sleep for? I think until like 6 a.m. tomorrow, probably. Wow. Incredible. Nice. That's that's my hope. I've been really struggling to sleep during the day, though. Um, the, the previous day, I slept for for one and a half hours, and then yesterday I managed four hours, and it still wasn't enough. Wow. Yeah. That's so, a bummer. Yeah, it seems like I've got some kind of an internal clock now. Ugh. Lame. <laughs> didn't used to have it well let's get into the first topic yeah you've been doing the olympiad with uh grandmaster roland prusers and how yeah. how has that been what are your highlights how's that been all right highlights of the tournament um greece finishing in second tied for first almost with uh the u.s in pool d gives us an underdog to root for next week for anybody out there who likes underdogs so that's one nice highlight um, I mean, for those of you who just like, you know, Russia versus India versus China versus the U.S. or whatever, then, uh, you know, there are those teams there, too, obviously. Um, but anybody who's looking for an underdog, uh, there's the Greeks. I don't think they have any chance, but uh, you could root for them. And if they win, then you'll you'll have gotten that one percent and uh, you'll feel amazing. Um. And then I've got a bunch of games. My other highlight is that I've been making this um, file, mm. which is called, which is David's Olympiad study material. Oh yeah, it's full of highlights, man. Um, we've got like impossible endgame wins by Jan Christoph Duda. Um, we've got impossible 20 missed knockouts by other people against Jan Christoph Duda, since somehow he just never loses. <laughs> um, even though he gets bad positions at times. Um, we've got an exchange sack by Parham Magsudlu against Anand, which looked sort of good, but then every single move he played afterwards looked terrible, so it looked like he would just lose in a heap to Anand, and then somehow he won the game. Basically, every move he played was unpredictable and seemed bad by the general guidelines that I have for how you play up or down exchanges. Um, so those are some those are some big ones. How did that game uh, turn out between Parham and Anand? Parham won. Like he was down in exchange and seemingly playing like six incomprehensible bad moves in a row in a critical tactical situation, not like in a locked game. Um, and then suddenly checkmated Anand by retreating his queen to a8. So, go figure. <laughs> um, yeah, Queen A8, and then Anand resigned. Parham was black. So, it's a game that makes no sense at all. I'm looking forward to that. And, uh, yeah, I've got some other, some other fun and funny games to look at, uh, to study over later. And how's it been doing commentary with Roland? Has that been useful for you? Yeah, it's good. It was very interesting, you know, because every chess player is different. I've never worked with Roland before, so it took me like a bit to figure out what his strengths and 
you know, interests were, his areas of expertise, and to start figuring out, and also his, like, tastes, mm-hmm. you know, like, he, he really likes big pawn pushes, pawn storms, violence, um, not really big into preparatory moves, but he also likes endgames, so, um, you know, and it seems to have spent a lot of time studying, uh, studying like some technical end games and stuff like that you know putting in the the work that pawn stormers normally are less interested in so yeah i picked up a lot of cool things from him Hmm. fair enough um yeah people asking about who decides the questions well we've only done two episodes so far this episode two for the first one david did it for this one uh i did it and yeah we're not really going to disagree on anything on this topic but i i figured we should start with this because david has been he spent the last three full days of his life covering the Olympiad, so I figured he might might have some thoughts on it. Three minutes out of it. You want me to just you want me to just shoot one game into chat for people to look at for fun later? Yeah, definitely. Alright. Here is here is what I call the upside down pawns game. This one requires further study for me. This is from the study. Like some of these I clipped are like cool things that I understand that I want to show people, like you know, a sick a sick checkmating finish from uh, Mamadov. Um, but other things are things that I actually need to study for a while. Um, mm-hmm. I'll turn my mic up a tiny bit. I had to turn down for um, for the previous show for Roland's and them. Oh, thanks. That should be good. To match him. Okay, so there, I just tweaked it up a little bit. You guys let me know if that's um, too much or too little. Uh, sounds uh, louder to me. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Um, but this this game yeah. here that I'm sharing with you guys is from the you know something to study uh, part of my of my clips. Did you nice. see any Olympiad Coast yet? Did you have anything you saw that was cool? Well, I mean the Olympiad has been at a very inconvenient time, obviously for the states. Agreed. It seems like it's just like our min- our morning time, basically our sleep time. Yeah. Um, I would like to watch maybe the finals at some point. I'm still unclear on the format. Like, it sounds like it's like a World Cup system. Like, there are different pools, and the top finishers from each pool advance to some kind of knockout. Yeah, they've advanced 12 teams to next weekend's knockouts. And um, the top team in each of the four divisions has a round one bye, so to speak. Um, So the second and third place teams will be crossed against teams from other divisions or other pools. And they'll play... And then the four teams that come out of that will join the top four seeds, and then they'll play normal, you know, quarterfinals, semifinals, finals to determine the top four. Um, and uh, the format is going to be two matches. So basically, it's a six-board team, right? Mm-hmm. So they'll play with white and with black, just switching colors. Um, two matches against the other team, and then if that somehow is tied six to six, they have some kind of Armageddon kind of thing. But I think, you know, very often one team or another will probably score six and a half, seven, or or maybe ten if they're facing Greece, though I'd like to see Greece win. So I know that the, um, there's, it's not like it's all of the best players playing, but for instance, the US team is extremely strong. Uh, do you have, like, are, who are the favorites, do you think? Like, who, who has the strongest team? China clearly um, has the strongest team by a little bit. Um, yet, in the final round nine showdown with India in Pool A, China lost mm. to India. India is one of the other top three or four teams. Um, on paper, they shouldn't have. They shouldn't be better than China over many matches, but um, they won that match. Um, and so, you know, China's not even getting a, a round one bye, despite being, in my opinion, the strongest team. Do they have, like, Ding Liren playing and all their all the top Ding guys? Ding Liren and then either Yu Yang Yi or Wei Yi for board two. They're only relatively... They're the only board on which they're not the highest-rated team. Otherwise, they're, like, the highest-rated team on every single board they play, basically, okay? The only board where they're not the highest-rated is the junior board. They have a GM who I didn't really know, Leo Yan. Um, you know, and he might be like 2550 to 2600. Seems to be pretty good at rapid chess, but there are other teams with players like 
you know, Jeffrey Xiong or Esipenko, you know, who could be significant favorites against him. Um, oh, and uh, India uses either Nihal Saran or Pragnananda, so they're a favorite on that board as well. That was the one board where India was a favorite against China, and they did win that from a, from a losing position. Mm -hmm. um, it sort of decided the match, in fact. Um, but, then, but then China has the highest-rated two women players. They've got Ho Yifan, who would be the women's world champion if she were still playing, and then they have Ju Wenjun, who is the women's world champion. So that's, I mean, a significant advantage mm -hmm. on those two boards. And then their female junior player is Ju Jin Er, who's the highest-rated female junior in the world as well. So, <laughs> oh, interesting. What's what's her rating? I don't think I've heard of her. Like twenty-four, fifty, or sixty, and she's like sixteen. Um, she played for the Dallas team in the Pro Chess League and won basically every game. Um, she's really really good um so i mean if you imagine like they're playing matches where on five out of six boards they outrate their opponents against against russia is the only team that will outrate you yang yi on board two mm -hmm. right but like in most of their matches they're outrating their opponents on five out of six boards sometimes by like a hundred points i mean you know, Hoi Fawn is like 150 points ahead <laughs> of who she plays. Right. Um, so, yeah, they're, I mean, the Chinese team is insane. The second highest rated team and probably the second best team would be Russia. And then it's um, India, uh, who's number three. And then I think there's a little gap after that before you get to the U.S. and Armenia and Azerbaijan. Oh, there's, there's actually a gap for the U.S. between those other teams? Yeah, I think the U.S. is a bit weaker than those teams. I mean, the U.S. is giving up 100 points on each of the women's boards, including the junior female board. Um, they're giving up 1 to 200 points on all three of those boards against China or Russia um, or India. India is Harika Dronavali and uh, Humpy Koneru, mm -hmm. and their junior um, scored something like 8 out of 8. So <laughs> they're female junior. Um so, yeah, the U.S., I mean, is going to be in a deep hole <laughs> once they face teams that good. All right. Uh, question from the chat. Thoughts on um, Berkic smacking Aronian? Did you catch that game? No, I missed that game. Oh, I didn't see it either, but... Uh, yeah. We'll be sure to check it out. Hey, thanks, Austin, for the bits. All right, David, well, let's um, let's move on. Um, sure. I, I'm, I'm sure you you would like to take some time away from the olympiad at this point <laughs> <laughs> well you know i've got my study material I'm, I'm not done but i think i think it's great i've been doing this thing like where i just clip things non-stop that i want to study and then you know it, it's just available to me this it's very useful nice all right let's move on to topic two maybe you can read this one if you would like mm -hmm. sure how close was David's 1% prediction for the Magnus Carlsen Tour finals? We'll follow from <laughs> last week. So, of course, uh, one of our questions was what are Naka's chances in, in the finals? And uh, that was a very exciting, I would say, very close match, as anyone could, could tell. Um, so, was David right? Did Magnus win the match? Yes, he did end up winning in basically, like... I mean, he won in the least champion-like way possible. Like, they tied the entire games. Like, all of the games and matches were ended up drawn, and then he mm -hmm. won by making a draw with Black in the Armageddon game. Not that it wasn't, like, totally legitimate victory. With I just like, mean, like... With, like, a rook fortress against the queen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he basically... Like, he could not have won a closer match, basically. Right. And I would say that shows just how good Magnus Carlsen is, that he was able to orchestrate it so that everybody, including Hikaru, thought that it was a close <laughs> match. Um, it shows like phenomenal skill to be able to let your opponent's sword come that close to you every time so that everyone in the audience is like on the edge of their seats and ooing as hard as they can. And to just allow that again and again with that precision and control is just phenomenal honestly 
yeah, I mean, I, I would say even Magnus himself thought that he would not be winning at, at various points throughout no. the match. No, 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 no. He, he, he was doing it on purpose, Kostya. Well, I've heard that, actually. I remember one time Magnus was, like, dominating the chess world, and then he started a tournament with, like, two losses. And then someone said, like, yeah, he's just bored of winning normally, so he wants to win when he comes back from behind, like, 0-2. Yeah, I mean, he really, he, he wanted to put on a big show. He got huge numbers. I think Hikaru believed it. I, and that's, like, the amazing thing, right? I mean, he got, like, because you get into your opponent's head, right? And so he actually, you know, hypnotized Hikaru into thinking, like, wow, I'm playing out of my mind. Like, you know, I'm exceeding my expectations. I, I, I actually have a chance against Carlson. I think Hikaru really believed it. And um, it, was, it, was just, it was just masterful. But yeah. there was a moment when Hikaru was, like, leading, and if he ends up winning, like, one game where he's winning, then he just, like, wins the match. Yeah, yeah, that was part of it. He <laughs> he deliberately always let, um, Mac, uh, he always let Nakamura win the first, third, and fifth matches, right? So it was, like, always, like, he was one match behind, um, and always, like, making it look so risky. But, you know, Carlson, like, knows just how far he can go like when his center of gravity is just directly above the cliff's edge and it looks like he's leaning so far back, you're like, he's going to fall off. He's going to fall off. And then, nope. I mean, I know you're, I know you're joking, but it is funny. He, um, I'm not joking. He, he didn't like, so let, serious. <laughs> he remember last year, Fabiano Caruana was basically one game against the lower rated grandmaster away from overtaking Magnus. Uh, in the number one spot in the ratings list. Yeah. And Fabi ends up not choking that game, but I think he had like a good position, but then doesn't win it. And Magnus keeps the number one spot right before the world championship too, by just like the skin of his teeth. So that is yeah. kind of more like Magnus voodoo, like Houdini act. Yeah. No, and, I, and I'm telling you, Kostya, I'm like absolutely serious. I may be one of the only people in the world who noticed this, but I did. And I'm absolutely dead serious on this show. I will not like pull any legs here. Um, there <laughs> People were are agreeing with your conspiracy. <laughs> there were there were tweets in the Norwegian press leading up to this saying like, "Gee, you know, chess would be a lot more interesting actually if there were some drama. If like every tournament weren't just Magnus like smashing everyone's heads in." And Magnus read that and he realized like for his, you know, for his for the growth of chess for his own bottom line. For, for everything, like, he really needed to make it look close. But, you know, I I think if, if Magnus really had the idea of, like, promoting chess on his mind, he would have lost the match. Because that would have made a lot more headlines. No, no, no. His and then he would have not to come... let him, <laughs> not let him suffer Hikaru thinking that he won and gloating. He would lose his mind one day and send Hikaru a message saying, like, look, I lost it on purpose. Stop gloating about it. You know, here's what I calculated. I played this instead on purpose. Like, just shut up. You know, he, he couldn't take it. He would never be able to keep that a secret. He wouldn't accept it. So, I mean, he just went for it as close as possible. But he's got some ego. He needs to be number one. I see. Okay, so I, it sounds like you're going to stick stick by your 1% prediction. I'm sticking by my 1% for sure. And you can, you can pull the fans um, in chat on whether the 1% was right, or you can pull them about whether or not Magnus allowed it to be close on purpose. But... Mm -hmm. uh, I think I think I've made the case pretty clearly, and you'll see a lot of people will agree with me. That's that's fine. I mean, that's what this sh this show is all about. We can never know the the full truth. We're just giving our our takes on it. Uh, I think it was a very uh, close match. I think Magnus's chances were far from one percent. I mean, I, I ended up saying I think fifteen percent last time. Based on how the match played out, I would say even even that was pessimistic because Hikaru was uh, very very close. We could say that Magnus did kind of not show up in his best form. I feel like Hikaru showed up in fantastic form. Like, I feel like he played extremely well. And, I mean, Hikaru's always struggled against Magnus. We know this. Even in online matches, Magnus, like, I remember dominated Hikaru in uh, the Speed Chess Championship a couple of years back. Um, so to see Hikaru do this well against Magnus, I think, was already just incredibly yeah. impressive like definitely it was surprising yeah and definitely when hikaru won the first match and even the third match i thought like wow you know hikaru's really shown up 
He's playing his best, you know, Magnus does have a struggle here and there, you know, I, I, I do see that there is a world where he occasionally loses a match like this to Hikaru. And playing through the games, you know, I couldn't see, you know, the second dance, the second level dance that, uh, that Magnus was doing. It really was convincing to me. Um, and I agree. And at that point, I was thinking, like, they are currently in one of those 1% timelines, right? Like, just because they're in that timeline, it still has, you know, 50 branches left, right? So, you know, it still has 48 scenarios where Carlson bails it out. And now there's two scenarios where where Hikaru wins, you know? So they're now Hikaru's chances are like 4% instead of 1%, right? Because they're going down into that area. But once I saw the fifth match, I was like, no, this is just, this is just Carlson um letting it go this way on purpose and so i'm gonna start the poll guys so you can you can vote whether you think it was uh close or not so you think magnus uh you think he feigned the back injury and that was all just like for the show or was that do you think that was real i don't know maybe his <laughs> ego wouldn't let him say like well it was this close and i was playing my best so he's like when i'm not feeling my best they have a chance i don't know about the back injury Fair enough. All right. Well, guys, you can you can let us know your thoughts. Uh, all in all, it was very fascinating uh, match. Very exciting. I do love that format actually because it makes a lot of sense. If someone takes an early lead in the match, it can kind of turn into a snowball. Whereas if you have one bad day, it's like okay, you lose that day. That's one day you lost, but you can win the next day when you start from even ground. So it's like uh, I, I like it. It keeps the the intrigue. Yeah, and um, I, I think it was a fantastic met, and I think that Magnus succeeded in orchestrating one of the most entertaining chess events of the year. I think, I think people were really, really excited and eating it up. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Forty viewers, a hundred votes. That's that's fine. That's normal. <laughs> What's going on? Well, um, I think uh, you know we allow we allow people to vote with like bits and dojo gold and stuff oh so somebody's spending money to like rig the poll <laughs> proving to you that conspiracies abound coast yeah <laughs> <laughs> proving to you that i am right again like uh yes i have met magnus true colors i met him about 10 years ago he told me that he was planning this he said one day i, I may have to do this to keep it interesting <laughs> no, I'm kidding. We didn't actually talk about this match 10 years ago, but I have met him. That part is true. Nice. 81%. <laughs> Sonny contributed 6,000 points. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So 81% agree with uh, David was right. Karo never had a chance. Wow. Sad for sad yeah. for Karo. Uh, but the did tour see, will be back in November. Did you see his tweet right when it ended where he was like, Sauron is still good? And then later <laughs> he like posted like a more gracious tweet about yeah. like, it was a good match. You pushed me to the edge. It was really exciting, you know? Right, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, Naka said on stream that he doesn't think Magnus wrote that second tweet. That it was just like someone on his team. Someone on his team came through to do it. Yeah, I think it's so funny. Yeah, I think it's uh, the same thing that happens like with the president like he has his tweets and then he has like people from his team like just tweet <laughs> i think i think he's somehow kept everyone away from his tweet account because if he had handlers helping him with his twitter like i mean then they're senile as well right oh no i i <laughs> think that's part of it because they want they want to echo his voice they don't want it to look obvious that like someone else is writing <laughs> there's no, nobody not senile tweeting on that account we'll put it that way <laughs> yeah, yeah no, they, they do a good job um, all right, well, let's move on to our next topic, yeah. topic number three. All right, you can read this one to me. Okay, well, is PogChamps, which is currently ongoing on uh, chess.com Twitch, a good thing for chess overall? So I'm leaving this question very open-ended. Yes. My answer is pretty open-ended, too. Great. Uh, <laughs> well, what do you like about it? Ah, uh, follow-up questions. Um, <laughs> you didn't yet say if it was a good thing or not for yourself. Well, I want you to just elaborate on why you, you think it's a good thing. and then But I'll then I'll convince you before you even answer. Okay, fair enough. I'll do whatever you say. You're the boss. 
Um, I what I like about Pog Champs is that it brings more people into chess. It um, entertains people. It shows chess as being acceptable, and it's a, I'm uh, sorry, accessible. It shows chess to be accessible, and gives more people like a feeling like, yeah, I could play. I could pick up the pieces and play a few games. I think a lot of times, people fear that there's like a barrier to getting into chess. You know, I feel that barrier with some games. I'm like, oh, those people are having so much fun with that game, but it would be really hard for me to learn it because I actually struggle to learn new games. So. I sometimes see that barrier and it like dissuades me from doing something. And I think the Pog Champs is showing tens of thousands of new people, um, as far as like new to the chess community, tens of thousands of people like, actually, you know what? There isn't that much of a barrier. You can start playing at a 300 or 400 level and find other people at a three or 400 level to play with. And there's nothing to keep you from playing a game that's gonna be fun and interesting. Okay. Well, um, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I would say overall it's like a net positive. I don't know. I actually think most people agree that it probably is good for chess overall. I think the disagreement is like whether the hype is really going to to last, which I think is, is kind of a weird question because it's like obviously some people are going to stay in chess because they discover the game and, and they enjoy it. Not everyone is going to stay. People are going to move on to other games. but Which is fine too. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But their relationship to chess will be forever changed, you know? When somebody talks to them about chess, they won't be like, oh, yeah, that's for, like, astrophysicists. I can't do it. They'll be like, oh, yeah, I played that with my girlfriend for a couple of weeks. It was fun, and, you know, then I moved on to some other things, you know? So it'll there will still be, like, a different, more open feeling about it, I think. I hope so. So it could have a very similar effect to, like, the uh, the Fisher boom when people were, like, watching chess all the time and like playing in the streets and people started picking it up because they saw Fisher was this like big hero type figure playing and it was this whole thing so yeah now I imagine a lot of people are fans of uh these streamers and watching them play chess maybe they played when they were younger uh played in their their schools or their clubs and, and now they're getting back into it so yeah I guess we don't really uh disagree too much no those are very good points Coast. yeah yeah um, that said, it does come with like annoying things, um, like people tweeting and, and talking about chess that are like very new to the community. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I would say you know it's like it's just like a different culture. Like yeah, when you're a more casual chess player, you're not so concerned with tradition and like over the board tournaments even if you've only played online i think that's totally fine like we can have over the board chess and online chess and they can be basically uh separate right yeah i mean people may be annoyed by some things but i don't think there's any value in being snobby about stuff i don't think that that does anything but try to reinforce some of the bad reputation that chess has had at times um that has kept people off so you know, there are things about chess that seem to put off uh, female players from participating and, and other people. And I, I I think rather than being unhappy with how other people relate to chess and saying they're not relating to it the way we, the true chess players, relate to chess, I think rather than doing that, we should, you know, let everybody have their own relation to it, see where it goes. Yeah. Now, one thing where I would say the new boom did cause some harm was in cases like the the Ben Feingold thing, because we didn't used to have this like witch hunting uh, in chess. Uh, I mean, maybe it's like a new thing just like for like the internet in general. Like if someone says something that people find offensive or they disagree with, they like really go after them and they try to like publicly shame them and, and all this right. stuff. Um, yeah, like I remember, I mean, the Feingold controversy is maybe like two months old now. And there was all these new fans, kind of like from like the PogChamps community, basically, just like furious, <laughs> furious at Feingold for for what he said. Now, of course, they've like completely forgotten about it. But at the time... And has it hurt him? I mean, I feel like yeah. you know, he got banned for a week, but it was like a lot of controversy and publicity for him. And I feel like his streaming and his followers are, are, are doing great. Well, he was he was banned for something actually kind of semi-unrelated. It was related, but they didn't just ban him because people were upset. 
it turned out they banned them because he like read someone's email uh, on stream. Right. Um, and uh, and so that was kind of a like a separate issue. But um, but what real harm was caused? I mean, a lot of people they like went to his YouTube channel, started like spamming hateful comments. He had to like sh turn off comments on his YouTube channel. They went to his Twitch, started spamming his Twitch, spamming his Twitter, spamming his wife on Twitch. Um, obviously, anonymous people online like sent them a bunch of like vile, hateful insults. Use a bunch of like slurs and derogatory words. Jeez. And uh, that's obviously not <laughs> the fault of PogChamps, but that is there is a con of like this type of internet community where if they see someone as a villain then it just opens the floodgates for them to send them or do whatever they want uh in terms of like this online warfare so that was that was unpleasant it's unfortunate yeah. that that became a thing that's painful but there's people like that period right and if they weren't going after ben they probably have some psychological need they would have been going after somebody else so i think like you know saying like oh twitch community or gamer community stay away from us you guys aren't on our on our rarefied level is not going to help you actually have to try and engage even those people um otherwise i mean they're just they're they're going to be rampaging somewhere yeah so that's that's the only unfortunate thing and i don't want to yeah just pin it on on gamers or twitch it happens in communities all over the place i think it's more a symptom of like the internet uh and and social media um, right. but in chess, it wasn't really, didn't seem like it was that much of a, a thing until just like very, uh, very recently. Yeah, I agree. You know, although we could have used a few more witch hunts with cheating. I don't know if that's one of your topics again this week, but it was one of our topics last week. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't come up with like a new question about, about cheating, but yeah. we can definitely revisit that. <laughs> No, no, we don't need to, but the, the just topic. witch hunts made me think of that, you know, like actually we, we, we said last week that we were in favor of sort of little more consequence for, for that. Anyway, mm -hmm. Yogra wants Zergs in chess. Um, well, you should see, uh, you should see Mr. Preusser's play chess. He is, um, very much the Zergs. And uh, Ginger GM is too. There are plenty of chess players who play chess like it was uh, StarCraft, and they were the Zergs. Yeah, sorry, just reading through the uh, the Twitch comments. So I guess people don't fully remember like the the Ben thing. Um, well, he ended up getting banned from from Twitch. His channel was banned for like two weeks or something for this like one incident. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm just kind of <laughs> repeating the, the same stuff. But, you know, people got on Ben's case for, for being rude, right? Insulting. Um, but honestly, mm -hmm. if you watch some of the streamers he insulted, I don't want to name any names, but if you watch some of these other guys, mm -hmm. they insult people too pretty regularly. You know, it's just like such like hypocrisy um, when, when that happens. So that was just kind of the only unpleasant thing. But overall, it is good that new people are getting... Uh, into chess, uh, I just wish it wasn't so easy for people to like, I don't know, send spam and hate threats to like <laughs> streamers. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Was there a poll on this? We can do a poll. I'm trying to think. Yeah, we can ask what, what everyone else thinks to your exact question. Is PogChamp's a good thing for chess overall? I mean, you and I both said generally yes, yes. But, but our chat could disagree, which is, would educate us. Sure, let's put it up. Knock and XQC are not saints. No. I've never watched XQC, but I have met Naka, and certainly he can have lower opinions of other people sometimes. Yeah. Although in more recent meetings with him, he has uh, surprised me with uh, how how mature and uh, yeah, 
how mature a person he's become. And uh, you know, I have this theory that that on air he just kind of like reverts a little bit, but that uh, and perhaps on purpose, you know, as as a more exciting act. But I think that actually the real Naka has become quite a decent fellow. Uh, I think so. I feel like yeah. Um, lately, from what I've seen, Naka he seems to be a really good guy and like tries to do the right thing. Um, you know, doesn't want like um, any kind of like unfair advantage. Like I don't see him doing any kind of like gamesmanship stuff. And um, yeah. <laughs> Can people people ever really change? I think they do. Yeah. Yeah, our chat's coming down in favor of that. I mean, that's a huge question. That's not one of our topics today, but so far. <laughs> Should that be a poll? <laughs> so far, we have what uh, in my in my teaching, in my, in my school, in my teaching community, is called a growth mindset, which is the general belief that people can change versus that they are the way they are. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the growth mindset. PogChamps is fun to watch, though. I mean, I want to say, like, straight up fun. Uh, if if you just don't take the game, like, too seriously and you're not, like, trying to, you know, make sense of what's happening or, like, the moves and stuff, I think it's just fun to watch. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, me personally, I, I prefer not to watch it. But that doesn't <laughs> mean that I'm not glad that you know, a hundred thousand people have a different opinion than me. That's great. You know, I mean, and and I think the maybe you've seen more of it and know better than me. But my guess would be that the show is mainly aimed at chess players that are somewhat within the realm in terms of strength of the participants in the event. Yeah. Right. So I would say I would guess that the the poggers are somewhere between you know maybe six hundred and fourteen hundred generally. And the show would be mainly exciting and, and high quality for um, for people in that range. And that's great, you know. And I'm in a range where it's more interesting for me to watch, you know, Svidler talking about GM games, which is fine as well. No, I 100% agree with all that. Yeah. You know, and, I, and I'm happy to do shows on our channel where, you know, we have a viewer play Blitz games. And if the viewer is 1,200, then the show is going to appeal most to a 1,200. I love to do that. Um, and, and, you know, to provide that for them. I wouldn't watch that show myself. You know, I wouldn't watch the bot of that show if, if, if you did it instead of me some Sunday, right? Right. Yeah, I think, um, actually, it comes back to when um, the St. Louis Chess Club started doing their regular commentary. They got a lot of criticism at first for not aiming the commentary at, like, a very high level. They, they tried to make things, like, really simple and break it down, uh, which I think they did a really good job of. And... I mean, they had like some of the biggest or most popular shows uh, of all time when they were first starting out and, and then moving up. Like they basically had the best broadcast in, in the world. Uh, and I think PogChamps is kind of like an extension from that. It's just like continuing uh, just by like focusing on the masses. And yeah, I think it's absolutely fine. Uh, like, yeah, yeah, not everything has to be for, for everybody. Yeah. I would also agree with what Pulsey is saying. Like sometimes when I do the, some a certain show, I'm like, this would be interesting for people from you know 600 to 1300 plus people in the 1800 to 2200 range if they're teachers and they're trying to get better at being teachers, right? So that's a good thing to add, Pulsey. Sometimes for coaches, there are certain things that are very interesting to watch as well, you know. But if you're just like an aspiring player in the 1600s or 1800s, it may not be of interest to you. Cool. Okay, speaking of coaches, let's go to topic four. Okay, I'll ask you this. How should one spend their time studying chess? Ooh, you could be stuck on this question for a while, Ghostin. Yeah, okay, I guess I'll, I guess I'll go first. Um, I thought all these questions would be good for, for you to go, but it it's all good. Um, yeah, well, I- You want I just... me to go first on every question? That was your plan? No, I just thought it'd be fun for you to just give your spontaneous take. Okay, I'll give I'll give spontaneous takes. So, yeah, whatever you had in mind for the show. Is fine. <laughs> um, 
Spontaneous take is, uh, well, it's not that spontaneous because I've spent so much of my life thinking about this. This question you can't really catch me flat-footed on. Um, I may say my words wrong and mix up my vowels and my consonants, but I do, I do know the answer to this. It depends on your level, and it depends on your own proximate sort of developmental stage. And uh, it depends also on your personality and what keeps you inspired and interested. Um, because being inspired and being energetic and uh, in what you're doing is more likely to provide sort of effortful engagement in the work you're doing. Um, so, sorry. Um, so, you know, it, it, it varies for everybody. Generally speaking, at the beginning, it's a lot of playing. At the end, it's a lot of studying and less playing. Um, in between, for a lot of people, it's finding your weaknesses and then working on things that help with your weakness, like studying some kind of uh, some games that show a positional thing that you're bad at or analyzing some games of yours that you've lost or, you know, practicing some end games on chess.com drills. Other people, they they hate their weaknesses so much that they just need to keep going with their strengths more and more. So. Um, me, for example, I was really not interested in endgames until I was 2400. And the right answer was not to be like, dude, you're weak at endgames. When you're like trying to checkmate someone and they offer you like two pawns to stop attacking, like you can't even take the two pawns. You have to like avoid winning in order to keep trying to checkmating. So like anyone can defend against you if they know that. Um, but to to tell me to just sit down and study those end games wouldn't have worked. Um, I just wanted to keep perfecting my um, my sort of complications, and uh, that meant coming up with more and more interesting ideas for how to create the positions that I was good at, rather than um, working on my checkmating technique, which was pretty good, or working on my end games so that I could sometimes accept the bailout because I just wasn't interested to do it. And it would have, you know, killed my enthusiasm. So sometimes I have a player with like clear weaknesses, and I just have them keep working on their biggest strength. Yeah, I guess there's no, there's no perfect answer. You know, it's just like, um, I guess there's a lot of ways to waste your time. That we can probably all agree on. Oh yeah. There's a lot of ways that you can kind of spend doing something related to chess, but won't actually. Uh, raise your level. So I, I agree with David's point that working on something that interests you is often going to be rewarding because you'll just be more into it and you might end up doing uh, work. I don't know. I think for a lot of players, um, they have developed their uh, some bad habits. Uh, a few that I'm thinking of specifically is like, you know, there's this type of player that basically just tries not to blunder. You know, they just try to come up with a move that they can't be criticized for. You know, they took a rook on a1 and they put it on d1 and the rook is now in the center and it's better. It's like, sure, they missed a tactic that wins two pawns, among other things. But like, as long as their move is solid, it's like they feel happy about that. And mm -hmm. it's like this kind of player is like really solid, but sounds very limited to me, right? They're just going to try to keep playing safe chess and their opponent will blunder some games. They'll catch them and win, they'll blunder some games, they'll lose, but it'll be hard for them to really kind of take that extra step forward if they're not willing to maybe play a little bit more dynamically in certain positions. So I guess what I'm trying to say is on this question specifically, like it kind of depends. If, if you feel like you are maybe stuck or on some kind of plateau, then I think you should work specifically on your weaknesses. If you don't feel like you're in any kind of particular plateau and you feel like you're in a good place with your chess, then it makes sense to focus on your strengths and like what you're kind of currently excited about or interested in, in learning. Mm -hmm. um, earlier, we, we just did a show with Jesse and Grandmaster uh, Mihailo Leksienko, and he made this point about how uh, learning a new opening or learning a new structure can be very beneficial when you're stuck in a rut. So you get to see all these new positions and you just get excited, like a new structure, a new way of, of playing the game. And, definitely agree with with that aspect of it yeah and that can also just be like you don't know what to study next just learn a new piece of chess right just mm -hmm. here's some new material right yeah choose a player play through some of their games you know choose someone in history that you don't respect right we all have players like we hear their name and we just think like okay was 
Is Max Orbe like really that good? You know, right? Like, okay. do I really need to study Kostya Kabutsky's games? <laughs> are you serious or are you pulling my leg? Yeah, I mean, I've already seen a few of Orbe's games. Do, do I need to see Kostya? <laughs> do I need to see any more? <laughs> and uh, it's like those are maybe the players that like you can learn the most from. Yeah. Um, and that's why I use Max Ove as an example, because he was the guy I was like, I don't know, is he good? Like, and then yeah, right. I saw some of his games and my great predecessors and like, yeah, God, dude was a beast. Uh, yeah. That's what I'm saying, guys. This is where you can learn the most. Right. Maybe there's some player you yeah, you don't think was all that good. You know, a lot of people right. love Tall. I'm sure a lot of people scoff at Tall. Right. Tall had some Somebody amazing games. Somebody who doesn't play like somebody who you look at their openings and you're like no like <laughs> you're, you're like immediately rooting for their opponents to like show them the way um but at some point yeah maybe you should learn why their way does also work that's a very good idea to pick that um i will say this generally like whatever you should be studying i can say that you know you should be like really engaged and effortful while you're studying and that you should have goals in mind that I think is those things are I think generally true regardless of what the strengths or weaknesses are or what the next thing for you to learn are having some kind of goal in mind studying studying a certain narrow number of skills and things at a certain time so you're actually focused and then you make measurable progress in that and then you move on to the next topic I think is better than a scattershot approach for most people gotcha there's some debate going on whether Uwe uh, was weaker than, than Steinitz. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll, I'll give you guys a clue. Anytime there's a world champion who comes along 50 years later than another world champion, they're better than the previous world champion. <laughs> Sometimes you'll have somebody like 10 or 15 years later who's not like clearly better than a, than a recent predecessor. But in general, every good player... <laughs> you know in the top like five in the world is going to be better than people from the top five in the world 20 to 30 years ago and certainly 50 years ago yeah that's always a thing i don't get when people debate about like who's the best player of all time did we talk about this last week like whether carlson is the best of all time or not no we've talked about it at some point it's it's pretty obvious to those who know how knowledge works <laughs> Yeah, it's like whenever you see this debate, like there's always someone in the comments who's like, like, yeah, but Magnus had to learn from guys like Morphe and Fisher and Kasparov. It's like, yeah, no one's disagreeing with that, but he's still going to crush them in a match. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> I mean, I would crush them in a match. That's what people don't get. Like when I tell someone that I would beat Morphe really easily, they're often like they absolutely like won't accept it, you know, Um but like I've played through his games, I, 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 I like I've prepared for him in a sense. <laughs> That'd be funny. Maybe someone can make an AI like they did for like Play Magnus that plays based on Morphe's games. Right. And oh, wait, actually, this is a genius idea. Hold on. Why hasn't whatever they did for Play Magnus? Why can't they just do that for like every player in history? I mean, because I think for Play Magnus, it's probably just like a computer engine that doesn't actually play like Magnus. It just plays like a computer engine that's dang good. Well, they no, they they do use his openings from his different ages. Okay. Um, I don't know if they go past that, but at least they they loaded it up with his repertoire. So when he was a kid, he was playing like King's Indian and Grunfeld, and then they switched to like Berlin and stuff. Um, so they could lo load it up with openings, but yeah, it'd be hard to generate the style. There's so many great comments in chat, we can't even address them all. But yeah, I mean, some people are pointing out that those questions about who's the greatest of all time are, you know, conflating and confusing different questions that people are asking, like who has more talent or who would like do better now or who would have done better then or who, you know, would train better or worse with computers. I mean, there's all, there's so many different things in there, right? Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then... Laurent asking if uh, it's a good use of study time to prepare for Morphe. I mean, I just sort of accidentally prepared for him because I studied him, you know, in the same way that I've prepared for Lasker, who is the first player in history who would beat me. <laughs> Emmanuel Lasker. Wow. So that is when chess got better than me. There you have it. Um, 
yeah, Morphe's game is definitely, definitely very, very instructive. Um, is Morphe the most talented player of all time? Now, that's a legitimate question. Like, which player was, like, the most ahead of their time? And then there's right. lots like of good answers. Gap. I mean, yeah. Mitch has very accurate estimates here on, on the ratings, right? Morphe was, like, about 2,100 strength. And the next best was like maybe 1800. So he could literally just like <laughs> run the board with them. Has anyone ever been 300 points ahead of their opponent? No. Um, Shankland uh, has advanced a theory, which is very plausible to me that as you go up, every 50 rating points represents sort of like more total knowledge than like the previous, you know, 100 points or whatever. So basically, hmm. by that term, for Carlson to be 80 points ahead, and you're talking 80, 2,800 points instead of 80, like 1,800 points might represent a similar gap. Um, because, you know, think of it as sort of logarithmic. Um, how many skills and how much knowledge goes into like the points as you go up higher and higher. Because, um, you know, you can take like a 1,200 and make them 1,400 in one lesson sometimes, right? Like in an hour. Yeah. Try making a 2,200, 2,400 in an hour, right? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's very difficult. Um, I wonder how it scales up to Magnus's level. I mean, he's clearly a step above everyone else, but to what extent is is really hard to say. Yeah, I mean, I think Sam told me that to get from like twenty six hundred to twenty seven hundred, he had to basically double, like at all his like skills and knowledge. Wow by that point you that's, know that's that's, that's how much is like packed into those points right it's like a black hole of chess knowledge and skill right where like a teaspoon is going to weigh more than some other uh solar system all right well i'm going to pull the chat what should one focus on when training chess your strengths or your weaknesses we'll see what you guys think i mean i don't know if david and i disagree on this one so much i think we both kind of think like um, you can work on one or the other. They're both like useful, but if you like really hate uh, end games and you, you just can't stand looking at them, then yeah, you know, at a certain point, you have to like enjoy the game and like <laughs> you know focus on on what you like. You're not going to get very far if you're suffering every time you try to uh, improve your chess. Um, and maybe it means there's some issue with your mindset or maybe it means you haven't been properly introduced to the magic of endgames or whatever it is you don't like. But anyway, something to to think about. <laughs> there was that meme. So Jesse mentioned, Jesse was talking about Mitch earlier on the Coaches show about how when it comes to the openings, Mitch is like the super buff guy that goes to the gym all the time. There was a meme actually with the uh, the cartoon Goodyear guy that's super buff, and someone's asking him like, "Oh, how'd you get to be so buff?" And he goes, "I did I did one push up for every line I studied in Chessable." <laughs> that hilarious. All right. Murphy and I are going to abstain. Oh, because of the poll? Mm -hmm. Well, I understand, but I, I just want to see, you know, if you guys had to. <laughs> I think in theory, if someone can stomach it, it is better to focus on your weaknesses than your strengths. Mm -hmm. As long as you can stay motivated rather than discouraged. Right. It was a similar question to you. Should, should you play against players who are like better than you, equal to you, or worse, right? Yeah, very similar. Same in theory, energy. in theory, the best training comes from playing people one to 200 points higher than you. That's like the sweet spot. But if that discourages you, then you're better off punching down. Yeah. And that, that's what worked for me. I liked winning every game. Yeah. I never played up. I like just going like 6-0 in the C section, 6-0 in the B section, 6-0 <laughs> in the A section. Champ. <laughs> No, I think I think balance is important. Yeah, because because yeah, we often tell kids like, oh, it's better to play higher rated players, uh, and it's so heartbreaking when like you have a camp and then there's like a kid who, because uh, I've seen this happen a few times. There will be kids who are like, like, oh, my parents told me not to play with any lower rated players. And it's right. like, oh my god, <laughs> it's like that that is that does make sense. But if you're only playing as high rated players, 
you're going to develop a very passive and counter-attacking playstyle where you're just waiting, either your opponent crushes you or they make a mistake and you get lucky and you catch them. But you're not going to learn how to actually put pressure and develop a strong attack and, and beat players. you got to learn how to play the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. It looks like strengths won at the end by 51%. Wow. I think that weaknesses were winning for most of the early part of the poll. Very close. Very close poll. Yeah. All right. So we're divided. Cool. All right. Let's move on to the fifth topic. This will probably be the last one. Um, is a chess coach truly necessary for progress? Again, I'll throw it to you, David, and you can interpret this question however I mean, you like. No. Fine. <laughs> um, there are times when it could help, um, certainly, or speed you up a lot. But necessary for progress, no. I mean, if you're not willing to work on your game, then you need somebody to kick your butt and make you work on your game. And does that have to be a coach? It could be a therapist. It could be a friend. It could be a partner. Um... It could be a rival taunting you on online, like Swan's still pretty good. <laughs> um, but no, it's not necessary. Yeah, I think that's fair. I feel like most people in the chat uh, agree with that. Um, no, I agree. It's a harsh question because yeah, I don't. I think very few players would would say that it's one hundred percent necessary. Um, yeah, maybe the best, the better question is like if it's worth it or if it's more effective. Right. Um, or you could ask, or you could ask Digit's question, right? Which is, um, if I want to be world champion, do I need a coach? Yeah, that that's a very legitimate and, and separate, yeah, question. But the reason I want to, I put this question up, I guess, mm -hmm. is because I feel like everyone does have the sense of like, no, you don't really need a coach to make progress. All the stuff is out there, like the books, the courses, the videos. I mean, it, you can play unlimited. You know, if you have access to a database or if you buy one or you can find an online one you can study like an unlimited amount of games from all of history's best players you know all the world champions their games are all public you know they're in the public database you can look all of them up you can study them um and books are cheap it's very easy to buy chess books that will take you months and months to go through and it's like endless amount of material that said a lot of times people aren't like super dedicated even though we know all this like we know like all of the stuff is like already out there even with all that like i think a lot of times people are drawn to a coach because deep down they know like they still they really want that guidance they want someone to give them that confidence like if you just work on this and you work on this your play will get better in this way and in this way and they kind of see that path going forward so i think people really value that but I just want to remind you guys that like a lot of what the coach does is just coming up with the direction and then having the student like stick with it just consistently following it yeah, I mean, I think this gets back to your previous question as well of how you should spend your time. And I think what you're mentioning, all the material out there, I think a lot of times people just waste their time on that stuff and like dissipate without actually absorbing any of what they're of what they're reading or watching, right? Because it's unfocused, it's all over the place. And as Nohal points out, are they putting work in, right? Or are they just sort of passively letting stuff wash over them and then, you know, not understanding it or forgetting it quickly? Yeah, yeah, I, I totally uh, agree. So yeah, maybe yeah, we don't disagree too much on this one, but I just like yeah, reminding people that it's like it's all out there, and um, there actually there is this ongoing debate on on Twitter that's kind of funny about uh, whether it's okay to play chess for fun. <laughs> I would assume your answer is yes. <laughs> like, if you're a chess player, should your focus be chess improvement, and should you evaluate all of your chess activities as whether you got better from that or not? <laughs> I mean, that depends on your life goals, right? I mean... Well, I mean, obvious answer again is like, 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 no, like, yeah, of course you can play chess for fun. There's no need that like chess improvement, but you do have a lot of players and any video they watch or like they see anything. So this comes because um, someone posted a rating graph of someone on Lee Chess who played like 400,000 games on the server. And everyone was like, wow, they played 400,000 games. That's insane. And then there was a bunch of comments, not from like one or two people, but like maybe 20 or 30 different people commenting like, yeah, but he didn't get better. Look, like, look at all he played. He didn't get better. Like, oh, he's still 1500, though. 
He's still 1500. Well, like, everyone gets stuck somewhere. <laughs> it's like trashing this. It's like everyone understands. Like obviously, you can just like play for fun. But even then, I think chess players, well, because they're so focused on their own improvement that they just can't. You know, it's like projections. Like you're you're working really hard on improving, so you assume others are as well. And if you if you see that someone isn't improving, you know you kind of like make projections right. on them. Oh, well, they're not working that hard, or they're wasting their time, or and so on and stuff. So hang on, if I see like that the weather's nice outside, and like the forest fires have abated, and there's nobody on my street like sneezing coronavirus at me, and I think like I'm just gonna go out and like ride my bike around, that's like bad unless I'm improving at bike riding. Some people would say. Like yeah, are you, are you riding your best bike? Do you check your routes. Do you have a bike coach? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can ride your bike all day. You're not gonna get better without like someone telling you how to ride a bike. Right. I mean, I guess if you want to stay 1,200 at biking for the rest of your life, <laughs> that's fine. I wasn't even thinking that I had a biking rating. I just thought I would enjoy the fresh air. Yeah. I guess so. I'm going to stay at my rating if I don't even know my rating. So stop shaming people, guys, for not getting better. Not everyone wants to get better at chess. <laughs> not everyone needs needs this. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I'm obviously on the fun side of it. I mean, I think a lot of chess players find it fun to improve. That's why they try to improve. I think that if you want to be able to improve at other things in your life, then obviously learning how to improve yourself at chess is you know as as a as a game that's fun for kids or adults you know is a way of like learning how to improve um which you can then apply to other things some people maybe just need to learn how, how to have fun who knows yeah <laughs> some people just like the sound of the online pieces moving i can see that <laughs> i like watching the pieces move sometimes i'm like i just want to see another story you know like the knights went to the queen side and then a pawn got traded and then oh whoops he didn't control this square i just it's just like watching a little movie okay so we'll ask um we won't ask the question here because i think the people's thoughts are pretty clear but let's ask uh, maybe slightly more um challenging poll see what people think um What would be a good question here? <laughs> On the question of can you become a world champion without a coach, I, I would say that it, it becomes monumentally more difficult to, to get to that level without just the, the highest of resources out there. Um, because, I mean, chess is such a deep game and such a difficult game. I think you really need someone who has experience and has been there before and has worked with other very, very strong players to kind of uncover. It's just, I think there's so many things to discover on your own um, in chess that, yeah, I think to get to that level, uh, experience coach is, is probably necessary. Mm -hmm. um, all right, well, let's see. We can have our final poll of the day guys um what's what should the question be hmm hmm here's a good question Okay, here's the poll, guys. Does improving at chess make it more fun overall? So if you feel like you're generally improving, or at least you 
feel like you're training to improve, does that enhance your experience in chess? Or do you feel like the game would be fun regardless of whether you thought you were improving? I'm <laughs> hoping for an engine question so that David and I can lecture everyone. What is this about, David? Can you explain? The engine thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, probably that we would tell you not to use engines. Oh. <laughs> Going down is not fun. Yeah, I've had that experience too. <laughs> it took me a while to adjust to it, but I got over it. Now I can go down and still enjoy playing chess. Yeah, me too, lol. I'm glad that you got past it as well. Oh, real quick, guys. We didn't have a topic on Puzzle Rush because we've just been talking about Puzzle Rush nonstop. Uh, and I think I switched out the Puzzle Rush question to the uh, just how should you <laughs> spend your time in chess in general. Um, but I do have part one of my new guide to Puzzle Rush out today on our YouTube channel. You guys can go check that out. Uh, I worked pretty hard on it. It's going to be a multi-video guide. Um, no, Ryan, I did not finish the 45-day challenge because I just got way too busy. But I do still think Puzzle Rush is a great uh, training tool if you want to work on your simple tactics. So part one is now out on our YouTube. Uh, I'm very excited to continue. Oh, nice. You got six days left. Wow. Champion. Almost there. Yeah, it looks like more more people are on like the improvement side of things they do feel like if they feel like they're improving then they are going to have more fun during their games or their tournament i think that makes sense when you're invested in something you want to feel like you're getting something out of it Well, all right, guys, I think we're going to be wrapping up the uh, the stream there. I'll be back in just under an hour, 15 minutes with Sunday Night Fights with Jesse. we got a bunch of games coming up today, so that will be exciting. going to be doing some, some live commentary, maybe continuing to hang out, continuing the discussion. David is going to go sleep for a couple of dozens of hours. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll be back with more more streams. Sunday Night Fights! Later this week. <laughs> So yeah, thanks guys for, for tuning in. Maybe we'll rate someone real quick. Kostya, you should make like a little like intro thing for Sunday Night Fights at some point. Yeah. Like this is Sunday Night Fights, kind of like the Sparta thing, you know? Absolutely, a little intro. Yeah, no, that I totally with you. I think that would be awesome. Uh, all right, let's see. Wow, a lot of people, a lot of people streaming. Maybe we'll raid St. Louis Chess Club. They're, I think, doing a stream with uh, National Master Caleb Demby. He this seems like a good teacher. This is going to be your 100th raid. Oh, really? Yeah, this is going to be the 100th raid of our new channel. Wow, sick. Yeah, you've also got Icy on right now. More four-player chess. We gotta, we, we're going to do a stream at some point where he's going to teach us how to play. Yeah, I'm very excited for that. All right, see you all soon. Take care, everybody.